Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this episode of The Daily Optimist. Today is Tuesday. It is the 8th of June. And wherever you are, whatever you're up to today, I hope you're taking some time for yourself. Just a minute, two minutes, ten minutes, whatever you can spare. Twenty minutes, an hour, it's up to you. Just take some time for yourself and find something you enjoy to do today. It could be simple, going for a walk, reading a book, listening to a podcast, maybe this one. Of course, if you're listening to it, you're already enjoying it. Well, at least I hope so. Whatever it is, just take some time for yourself today. Just a couple moments. doesn't have to be anything too long. That's not the step of the day. That's just an encouraging thought for the day. All right. So, reminder, it is still Pride Month. And just because it's a month of pride doesn't mean it's only a month of pride. All right. As I always talk to you about... Just because we honor something for a month doesn't mean we forget about it the other month. Black History Month, Women's History Month, Pride Month. We don't forget about them the other months, even though we have a focus. That's what my goal, and I hope you have the same kind of goal. To always keep it in the consciousness, always make it part of your life. Yesterday I talked about inclusion, and that's how you get there, by making it an everyday thing. And not just a one month at a time. Alright. We all have work to do. We're all trying to do our best. Keep at it. You got it. Alright, thanks for joining me. I'll get to it now. My name, of course, is Elijah Manning. And you are listening to The Daily Optimist. My first story today comes from the world. All right, you'll understand when I get to it. So there was a basically a global organized uh, crime sting. That's how NBC News put it in their article. And it was a collaboration between the FBI, uh, Australian officials, and some others around the world that um, all came together to arrest... um, drug dealers all right so again this is from an NBC article written by uh, Rachel Elbaum and it's uh, about a massive international sting that involved 16 countries um, one being the US one being Australia and that has more than 800 suspects they seized eight tons of cocaine and more than 48 million dollars Wow So what happened is the FBI and the uh, Australian Law Enforcement, ALE, they developed an encrypted device called ANOM, and it was basically um, organized crime networks started using it in more than 100 different countries. Um, So that became... Uh, as they call it, their Trojan uh, Operation Trojan Sea Shield. Excuse me, <laughs> I'm used to saying Trojan Horse, but uh, they call it the Operation Trojan Shield. And um, according to Calvin Shivers, he is the Assistant Director of the FBI's Criminal Investigation Division. 
He said, Operation Trojan Shield is a shining example of what can be accomplished when law enforcement partners from around the world work together and develop state-of-the-art investigative tools to detect, disrupt, and dismantle transnational criminal organizations. That's pretty wild. So, like I said, there were 16 different countries that were involved. Um, they, it was, they were monitoring communications uh, for 18 months, uh, it looks like, of com- encrypted messages. It's in 45 different languages. There's uh, trafficking and drugs, arms and explosives, armed robberies, contract killings, and more. That is uh, according to um, Janine Vandenberg of the Dutch National Police. Uh, they started about three years ago. The Australian Federal Police began developing the technology. Um, and like I said, it was in partnership with the FBI. And uh, Jennifer Hurst, who is uh, the Australian Federal Police Commander, said, The captured data has given the AFP evidence and unique insights into how organized crime works in Australia and internationally, how they move drugs, money, guns, and organized murders. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, arrests that were made or, you know, they seized drugs, weapons, money. They also said it was uh, they were able to mitigate over 100 threats to life, which is huge as well. Uh, they found um, photographs of hundreds of tons of cocaine concealed in shipments of fruit and canned goods. That is a giant, giant um, <laughs> criminal organization that they have been able to uh, snuff out. And as uh, the Australian Prime Minister Scott Moran said in a press conference, they struck a heavy blow against organized crime, not just in this country, but one that will echo around organized crime around the world. So, interesting how they use technology to uh, basically keep tabs on them and uh, have people sign up for it themselves and talk freely. My second um, story comes from the U.S. And there is an anti-vax film, and this is according to NPR.org, that was targeted to black Americans specifically to spread false information. So it's an anti-vax film. All right. So it it speaks about a woman uh, historian. She's a medical historian uh, from Yale and professor named Naomi Rogers, who was interviewed for this. And um, they came to her home and interviewed her in person. And she thought she, as she says, we were talking about issues of racism and experimentation, and they seemed to be handled appropriately. But she found out when they sent her the movie that really it's a exploitation piece and totally um, for anti-vaxxers and specifically targeted for black people to not go and get the COVID vaccine. She said, uh, when she asked who else was going to be in the, the, uh, documentary, that's how they said it was. She didn't know at the time it was a, basically a a hit piece against vaccines. Um, she said, they said, well, there's a guy in New York and we talked to somebody in New Jersey and California. And she says, I thought it was, uh, I thought it's so odd that they wouldn't tell me who these people were. And like I said, so when she found it, 
the film Medical Racism, The New Apartheid. And she watched a 57-minute film, and she was shocked to discover this was a... And she said, I was naive, certainly in assuming that this was actually a documentary, which I would say it is not. I think that it is an advocacy piece for anti-vaxxers. I'm still very angry. I feel that I was used. And this comes from... Um, it's backed by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is the founder of Children's Health Defense. All right. So if you don't know much about him, he is a big anti-vaxxer, and his Children's Health Defense is all anti-vaxxers as well. And so it basically goes, this video that they put together um, is, like I said, it, it goes through all the medical racism that has happened, and instead of looking at it in the, the lens of there being inequality, it's basically telling black Americans not to get the vaccination. Um, so there's like half-truths, partial information, you know, it goes through studies and, you know, things that have happened in the past, um, and that you know, black Americans should be aware of because this is obviously what they're they're trying to control black Americans with this. So don't get the vaccine. So what I find interesting about this is, you know, the other people also that are interviewed and who have seen it are all taking like um, issue with it because they're like, this is not what I thought we were doing. Um, so I think it's interesting. Because he is attempting, with his um, children's fund, they are attempting to say that, you know, there's all this disparity in uh, the medical field for, you know, uh, whatever purpose you may say uh, against black Americans. But I look at this as he probably knows and his foundation knows or his fund or whatever the heck you call it again. They know that this is disproportionately affecting minorities and specifically black people and how COVID is killing them. And now he's telling them not to get the vaccine. I wonder if there's a little supremacy motivation behind this. I don't know this to be true. That's why I said I wonder. He wasn't interviewed by NPR for this. And this is not his first take on this but he worked with a prominent figure in the nation of islam who obviously was looking at it from the perspective of you know we don't need this medicine i'm not sure about all the is islamic traditions of uh medical you know medical um takings you know on if they take vaccines or not in the nation of islam i don't know but i find it interesting that he paired with them but again i look at it through the lens of does he know exactly what he's doing is there a purpose behind this knowing it is disproportionately attacking black uh, and brown people to make sure that they don't get the vaccine because, again, according to this article, black Americans have twice the risk of dying from COVID-19 compared to white Americans. And we know there's already disparities between um, how black and brown and, and minorities are receiving the vaccine across the U.S. Now, 
This is telling them not to take the vaccine. Interesting. The article goes on and, and it really breaks down a lot of information uh, as to the disinformation that was put into the documentary itself. But I'm interested in the motivation behind it. And I don't know if I'll ever get that information. But that is what interests me. Alright. Enough of that. Just something to wonder about. But remember. You know, this talks about autism and vaccinations and how there's never been a proven link and things of that nature. So... Just be aware of where you're getting your information from. Alright? Always look for both sides of the story. Alright, now I'll switch over. Positive news coming up in just a moment. Alright, it's time for the positives for today. My first positive news story comes from Good News Network, and it comes from a school in uh, Louisiana. So, there's uh, high school graduations seem to have, uh, you know, dress codes and things of that nature. Uh, Devarius Peters was uh, attempting to go to his uh, graduation when he was stopped by the, the article puts it as the fashion police, and it's, you know, obviously somebody who's keeping an eye out for what you're they're wearing he was wearing black topped white soled sneakers and he was told that they were in violation of the school's dress code and he was denied entry so he wasn't uh, he was about to not be able to get to his own graduation so he didn't know what to do he happened to see um, a man named John Butler who was a paraeducator at, at the Louisiana high school and he was there as a parent, not a staff member. And um, as soon as he heard the Peter's predicament, that's what the article says, he uh, brought the young man back to the entry and was trying to, you know, get in. So he says, I was hoping that maybe if she saw me with him, she would let it go. But she insisted on not letting this young man in. And I didn't have time to go back and forth with her. It was a no brainer. This was the most important moment in his life up to that point, and I wasn't going to let him miss it for anything. So, what he did next is he swapped his shoes. He was wearing, uh, you know, loafers that were more uh, apropos to the occasion, and he switched with the sneakers. So his feet are size eleven, and the the young man's are size nine, but that didn't matter. Because the young man was able to get him because he was wearing proper attire. And um, he uh, Peters says, I wasn't surprised because Mr. Butler is that type of person. At school, if you're having a bad day, he'll be the one to take you out of class, walk around the school with you, and talk to you. Um, in the post that uh, Mr. Butler put up, he's like, uh, I gave him the shoes on my feet. Here's the funny part, though. My shoes were two sizes bigger than his, so when his name was called, he had to slide his feet like slee stack across the stage to receive his diploma. We had a good laugh. But all that matters is that he swapped the shoes, and this young man was able to walk across and get his diploma. And that's the importance of this story. 
So thank you to that uh, teacher and uh, helping for making sure that that young man was able to walk across and graduate or at least receive his diploma there. All right, my next story comes from, uh, I'm reading two articles, one from The Independent, and there's one from New York Daily News, only because there's a couple things in each one that I really want to mention, but it's the same story. It is about a uh, young woman named Paige Hunter, who has what they call, or what she calls, notes of hope. And um, her story is, in 2018... Uh, she was on this bridge um, called Wearmouth Bridge, and she was suffering from PTSD from a, I guess, a terrible uh, rape that happened to her uh, several years prior. And she was uh, thinking about taking her own life and jumping off that bridge. I guess the uh, bridge has a, a history of uh, people taking their own life from it. And then as she was there contemplating and, and about to jump, she says, uh, two strangers approached her and they said, you are worth so much more. And she says, those words changed my life. So she wrote them on a piece of paper and the next day she returned to the bridge and she started putting them all over the bridge. And she says, if these words could help me, who else could they help? So she's been doing this ever since. She covers the bridge. She has covered the bridge with more than one thousand signs to uplift others struggling with their mental health. Um, uh, so it's said that there have been people, uh, uh, a woman named Sarah Erica, who was reportedly struggling with depression and anxiety, saw Hunter's notes in two thousand eighteen, and she says it gave her motivation to want to carry on. Um, another young man, Colum Dogrell, says, I was going through a really rough patch, and I was at a point in my life where I didn't want to be here anymore, and that was in 2019. So they say it saved about six to eight lives. Uh, I had a couple different sources um, on how many they've, it's saved overall so far that they know of. So um, the Northumbria police honored Hunter in 2018 for her innovative ways to reach out of those uh out to those in a dark place um <clears throat> excuse me they've laminated the notes and that's you know they say things like don't give up not now not tomorrow not ever be strong because things will get better it may be stormy now but it never rains forever um so it says it will get better please hold it's also has uh numbers to mental health um, places as well that people can call. Um, she says she continues to do this and says it's very ther definitely therapeutic. Um, she's done loads of messages that she's put on the bridge. Um, and what happened now is there was a man named uh, Dominic M McDonoghue, and he is a, um, oh goodness, I lost what he is. Oh, he's a local councilman, and he said the notes have made a massive impact on the people. Um, so he's started a campaign, and a, he has a mental health charity, If You Care, Share. That was launched in 2019, and they're trying to make the messages a permanent fixture on the bridge. 
2020 with the coronavirus had delayed that, but it looks like uh, summer, by the end of summer, they will be putting those up permanently. And um, Hunter herself says, I feel really grateful that I've been able to help people uh, through my own struggle. And like I said, she puts on contacts for people to be able to call as well. So I hope it, she continues to, to help people and uh, people continue to, to find help that they need. All right. So with that, I'm going to switch over to my positive thought step, all the above for the day. And I want you to think about belonging. Okay. We all belong somewhere with someone. Sometimes it's a little difficult to find out who that is. And, you know, that can be stressful. That can cause, you know, fears and anxieties, depression. But you do belong with someone. And what does it mean to belong? And what does it mean to have others belong with you? All right. We all, we all have this, this belonging that we need. And sometimes we don't even know what belonging means to us. So that is something I want you to think about. What does it mean? Where do you belong? What does belonging mean to you? You know, does it mean you belong in a relationship? Does it mean you belong in just a community of people? Does it mean you you uh, belong to a chess club? Do you belong to a, uh, I don't know, a science club? Whatever the case may be, think about belonging. And think about the people that are there and how they belong as well. And think about how you can help others belong. Okay? Now pay that forward if you found and if you know where you belong. If you know of somebody who's a little lost, maybe you can help them try to find the place they belong. Now you can invite them if you do a book reader club. You can invite them. Maybe they belong. Maybe they don't, and that's okay. Maybe that's not for them. But we're all looking for that. So just think about belonging and what it means. And my quote today is going to come from Brene Brown, who is a... Uh, American researcher, storyteller, professor, lecturer, author, and podcast host. And her quote goes like this. The truth is, belonging starts with self-acceptance. Your level of belonging, in fact, can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance. Because believing that you're enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect. One more time. The truth is, belonging starts with self-acceptance. Your level of belonging, in fact, can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance. Because believing that you are enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect. And much like you know, uh, the, the lady who was about to jump, she found a new way. To, to know her self-acceptance, to know she was worth it. And then she's passing that on. And she belongs now to the community, to helping. What do you belong to? Starts with self-acceptance. All right. Your belonging, in fact, can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance. Because believing that you're enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect.
And we all are. You got this. I know you do. Thank you very much for joining me for this episode of The Daily Optimist. I appreciate each and every one of you. All right. I'll be here with you again tomorrow, and we'll have another episode. Until then, everybody, rate, subscribe, and share. You thought I was going to end it. I can't, not without saying that. Rate so that other people can find it. Subscribe so you never miss it. And share with anybody who needs a little positivity and optimism in their day. Thank you very much, everybody. Until next time, please be well.